You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. I'm Coda Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over campus news with details on Black History Month events and explain how ASCSU speaker Kyle Hill is resigning. I go over new updates in COVID-19 statistics and policies, and we hear from Diane LaPierre about new board openings in Poudre River Library District. After that, Coda goes over details on Amazon and Walmart's mask policies. Then we hear part of Sabrina Fulton's keynote speech for Black History Month. To conclude today's show, Coda explains some updates on technology with information on a discrimination lawsuit against Tesla. Let's move right into campus and local news. Now on to campus news for Tuesday, February 15th. The Associated Students of Colorado State University Speaker of the Senate resigned on Monday. Kyle Hill is resigning, effective Wednesday, February 16th. According to Piper Russell of the Collegian, Hill stated in a video on his Instagram story that he had planned to finish the rest of his term that ends on May 31st of this year, but that it is not ideal for him to finish it. The resignation comes after the Senate voted to remove Hill as Speaker at the February 9th Senate session. Hill included in his Instagram video that he will be finishing the projects he started, such as the bike bill plan. For more information on ASCSU, visit collegian.com. The Black-slash-African-American Cultural Center at CSU heard from their first keynote speaker on Thursday in celebration of Black History Month. Sabrina Fulton is an actress and the mother of Trayvon Martin. Fulton spoke in a virtual Q&A about the social pressure to be an activist after Trayvon Martin's death, as well as the expectations placed upon her as a Black woman. According to Noah Paisley of The Collegian, Fulton also spoke about having conversations about race with children and that it's important to start earlier now so that they can understand. To hear more about this, stay tuned for our highlights from her speech after national news. For more information on the upcoming events celebrating Black History Month, visit baacc.colostate.edu. The Colorado State Forest Service has a new state forester, Matthew McCombs. According to Isabel Brown of the Collegian, McCombs has a long history of working with forest services. McCombs previously served as the U.S. Forest Service as a district ranger. The dean of the Warner College of Natural Resources, John P. Hayes, also noted that the state forester position is an extremely complex position to be in. Before being hired, McCombs worked with Sam Pankratz, who is the forestry program specialist with the Colorado State Forest Service. The two worked together on a collaborative project in Taylor Canyon to mitigate beetle kill damage. For more information on the new state forester, visit collegian.com. Now on to local news. Last week, Fort Collins High School teacher Allie McGee reported allegations of discrimination after taking her students on a field trip to a local staple store. McGee works with autistic students and takes the students on outings regularly to different businesses so that they can work on community-based skills, according to Pat Ferrier and Molly Bohannon of The Coloradoan. The manager of Staples asked McGee and her students to leave and McGee said they experienced discrimination. Following these allegations, Staples has issued a formal apology to Poudre School District and the students and teachers involved. The Staples Director of Public Relations, Megan Michaelham, said that Staples strives to provide a welcoming environment. 
Michael Hamm also stated that the company reached out to the school district directly and invited the students back. According to Bohannon of the Coloradoan, Michael Hamm did not address whether there would be a change in management or not. Eighth Judicial District Attorney Gordon McLaughlin announced no criminal charges will be filed against the sergeant who shot at a man eight times after a pursuit on I-25 last month. According to Sadie Swanson of the Coloradoan, the man led deputies on a pursuit from Wellington to Fort Collins, and Sergeant Jackie Stymack shot the man twice. The court said Stymack was justified in the shooting since she believed no lesser degree of force would have stopped the man. The man is Dustin Bartles, and other officers stated he was driving erratically at speeds of 100 miles per hour. The decision to announce no criminal charges against Stymac comes after a month-long investigation from the Critical Incident Response Team investigation led by Fort Collins Police Services. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment released updated recommendations on how schools should be responding to COVID-19 on Friday. According to Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoan, there were two significant changes in the updated guidance. The state recommends that contact tracing is stopped unless there is an outbreak status and that exposed individuals no longer need to quarantine. Vaccinations, testing, isolation requirements, and masking are all still part of the guidance. The state health department still advises that schools transition to this option cautiously. For more updates, visit coloradoan.com. Thanks for listening to my newscast for February 15th. Make sure to always tune in to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesdays and Thursdays from 4 to 5 p.m. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM, and we'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Abby from the Collegian at Rocky Mountain Student Media, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you miss any part of Ellie Shannon's campus and local news, check out our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen back. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is COVID-19 Updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports over 8,800 cases of COVID-19 since recording began in May 2020. Three new cases were reported among students, and just one new case was reported among staff and faculty of the university. CSU still requires masks in observance of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommendations for indoor COVID-19 prevention. Larimer County reports high community transmission for COVID-19 with almost 74,000 total cases and over 460 deaths in the county. The county also reports a seven-day case rate of 290 cases per 100,000 residents. 43 COVID-19 patients are currently being treated in area hospitals, and local intensive care units reports that they are at 85% utilization. 
around 8% of all tests taken in the county for COVID-19, come back positive. Masks are no longer required for indoor public spaces in the county, with some exceptions. Due to high rates of transmission, public health officials recommend the following precautions. Get vaccinated and boosted against COVID-19 if you have not already. Wear masks indoors when people from outside your household are present. Masks should fit snug and KN95 masks are especially recommended. Monitor yourself for COVID-19 symptoms and stay home even if your symptoms are mild. Get tested immediately if you notice any symptoms of COVID-19. If you test positive, seek treatment and isolate. Postpone all indoor gatherings and in the case that it cannot be postponed, require that all attendees be vaccinated. Consider limiting the number of invited households present and move activities outside if possible. Employers are encouraged to promote remote work options for employees when possible, and the county also reminds residents to continue practicing social distancing. The state of Colorado reports over 1.2 million cases of COVID-19, along with over 12,000 deaths. 4.7 million people receive testing, and 58,000 are currently receiving treatment in hospitals around the state for COVID-19. Over 10.2 million total vaccine doses were administered by Tuesday morning, and 3.9 million Coloradans are fully immunized against the virus that causes COVID-19. The CDC reports over 77.5 million cases of COVID-19, and nearly 917,000 people are dead as a result of COVID-19. 80% of eligible people are vaccinated against COVID-19, and community transmission remains high nationwide. According to Crystal Hur at CNBC, Vaccinations for children under the age of five are currently delayed due to a lack of COVID-19 cases in clinical trials, which makes it more complicated to test the effectiveness of a vaccine. Additionally, some of the children in the clinical trial are getting asymptomatic COVID-19, which can be harder to track. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, CNBC, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you are a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine results, schedule saliva screenings, report COVID-19 symptoms, or a positive test, and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. Up next, we're hearing from Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, in her keynote done for Black History Month. On February 20th, Sabrina Fulton, the mother of Trayvon Martin, visited the Black and African American Cultural Center virtually to speak about her experiences as an activist, a Black woman, and as the mother of Trayvon Martin. Original audio was recorded by Noah Pasley of The Collegiate and CTV. In the violent confrontation in 2012, Fulton has become an aspiring spokesperson for parents and concerned citizens across the country. Her book, co-author with Tracy Martin, Rest in Power, The Enduring Life of Trayvon Martin, shares the intimate story of a tragedy, foreshortened life, and the rise of a movement that woke a nation's conscience. The publicity surrounding Trayvon Martin's death and assuming trial captivated the country into a national debate. Despite the intense struggle of losing a child, Bolton uh, has become a role model to many by turning her grief into advocacy. Remaining strong throughout the trial and ensuing months, she led her voice to speak against violence towards children and the need to build a better and safer communities for all. Her message not only appeals to people's hearts, but it relates to, the it relates to the children, but it's also one of hope, change, and exemplified by her personal experience and endeavors. As a mother, as a mother, she inspires audience to continuously educate their children about civil rights and to help them feel accepted and as part of the ever-changing society. 
and honest and relatable speaker, Fulton always looks forward to sharing her powerful messages with everyone from colleges and legal professions to community and family organizations, and all those proponents of social justice. Raised in Miami, Fulton graduated from Florida Memorial University, where she earned her bachelor's degree in English. And a proud mother, Fulton worked for the Miami Dade County Housing Development Agency for over 25 years. I'm Sabrina Fulton, the mother of not only Trayvon Martin, but also Javaris Fulton. I have two boys. I tell people all the time I have one in heaven and one here on earth. Yes, I have dedicated my life to social justice, to be an advocate to supporting families, um, mainly mothers and families that have children of gun violence. The message is going to be crystal clear. As I reflect on the Black History Month, what comes to my mind is that I'm not just Black in February. It's not just limited to a month. And so we have to be um, aware of that, that it's not just, we're not just celebrating a month of Black history. I celebrate all year. I celebrate 365 days, seven days a week. I have to be Black because I can't take off uh, uh, of the color of my skin. And so it is kind of, you know, we do focus on February being Black history, but I just want to say that I want to also speak a little bit about the importance of Black history and the importance of uh, African-American history and studying history is just to know who you are, where you came from, and to know about different nationalities. It's not necessarily just Black people need to learn about Black history, but we all need to learn about different aspects of all of our lives so that we can better understand who we are. And so don't think of this as a lecture. This is a conversation that I'm going to have with Inez and you guys are just going to listen in. So don't think of it as, as a lecture. Don't think of it as a seminar or any of those things. It's a conversation for me. This is something that I have been forced to do. I would not have signed up for this to lose my son and have to speak to people in reference to Black history, in reference to social justice, in re reference to discrimination, uh, racial profiling, or any of those things. I would not have signed up for this, but I, I have accepted the assignment, and, and I'm trying to do my very best to make something good out of something that is so bitter. I want you all to know that recently Trayvon celebrated in heaven his 27th birthday because he was shot and killed when he was 17 years old and on February 26th would be 10 years that he was shot and killed and so we celebrate Trayvon's birthday not his death and so on February 5th which was last Saturday we celebrated his birthday um I posted a few pictures uh, if you Look up the hashtag Trayvon Martin. You will see a lot of pictures uh, for the Remembrance Center that was this weekend. The Peace Walk and Peace Talk that was this weekend on his birthday. And also uh, the Trayvon Martin Foundation also had a uh, sit-down dinner uh, that was a fundraiser. Both events were well attended because people have not forgotten who Trayvon Martin was. And we have to be mindful that we can't let situations and tragedies happen and we forget about them. We gotta keep them on the forefront because this is something 
that didn't happen in another country. This happened right here in the United States of America. And we have to make sure that we keep, we're keeping these people name alive. And that's why you see a lot of times on social media, it says, say her name. It says, say his name. It says, Black Lives Matter. You know, we want people to make sure that we're not forgetting what has happened. And although it's a part of our history now, Trayvon is a part of our history now, because he's already in the history book, he's already in the museum in D.C., but we need to make sure we're keeping his name alive, because even if they don't teach it in school, somebody should be teaching it at home. And so um, I'm eager to get started. I'm eager to listen to a lot of the questions that you all have, and I'm going to pass it back to Inez to take it away. Um, thank you again for your wise words and encouragement. Um, thank you for so much for attending our event with us tonight. Um, we will now move into the Q&A session. Uh, I will be moderating the discussion, and if you would like to ask a question, go to Carlos. And if you're viewing virtually, um, just type in the Q&A chat. Um, I would like to note that a lot of the questions we'll, we'll try to get to, and we'll certainly try our best to get answered. Start off. Uh, this year, our, his, our theme for Black History Month is Uniting the Disaster. And in a sense, now many in the country only recognize you as being Trayvon Martin's mother. How have, however, you made a change and made some noise and headway advocating for reform in the Florida criminal justice system. Can you speak a little more on that? We have done several things in the criminal justice system, also with the law stand your ground, because one of the things is that not only just every average everyday citizen, but also some law enforcement officers recognize that it's not the stand your ground is not being applied fairly. But because we have a governor that's here in Florida and we have certain people that's trying to block us from moving forward, from amending this law, it's taking a lot of time in order for us to try to revise this law and amend this law. And so I can honestly say that we have not made a lot of segue when it comes to the stand your ground law. As far as police reform, we are making progress with police reform. We have uh, identified new chief of police and directors and they've hired more police officers to work in our communities as well as they also use the body cams. So those are some of the things that they're doing in Florida to make sure that we're moving forward with trying to get police reform. What are the strategies that you would offer to students who want to practice social justice and equality at their school? I would tell them that you can't do it alone. This is not a, a something that you do by yourself. I would tell them to organize. I would tell them to make sure they're knowledgeable about whatever the topic is that they're that you know that they have issues with to to make sure they research it so they know what they're talking about and just have meetings about it, discuss it, protest, have rallies, write letters, and just to, to try to get people to participate and get involved. It's not going to be easy and you're not going to see movement right away. Just know that, but don't give up. And, and that's the information I would tell somebody that is interested and social justice, don't don't give up, but just be knowledgeable about the subject matter and, you know, make sure you have people that's in your circle 
that want to participate and get involved because you can't do this alone. Again, our theme is uniting the diaspora. So, what would you say to younger generations who may not learn about your son and the complexity that our generation has? And how would you go forth of like teaching younger kids about social justice? Well, I, I think education starts at home. So I, I don't know about Colorado, but here in Florida, our governor has decided that our students don't need to learn about black history. They say it's too traumatic to learn about black history. And so he's trying to prevent that portion of history by deleting or just omitting of black history. But it's a part of this country, it's a part of America, and we can't leave that part out. Like I said, learning starts at home. I mean, I didn't go to school and start learning. I started learning at home. So I had a mother and father that were teaching me. I had a brother and sister that were teaching me before I even walked out the door. I mean, they was teaching me how to uh, write my alphabets and sing songs and spell and count in the days of the week and, you know, the months. And so it, it all starts at home. As a black mother, I think I'm expected to be strong. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm not strong because I want to be strong. I'm strong because I have to be strong. And so when Trayvon was shot and killed in 2012, I was forced to show my strength. I was forced to be strong because I had another son. You know, I, I had myself to think about. I didn't want to lose Trayvon's life and, and, and now I'm walking around like a zombie. And so I had to think about myself. I had to think about the media plays a big part in a lot of things. I absolutely feel like the media played a big part in my son and how the public looked at who my son was, even though he was a 17-year-old unarmed on the telephone talking to a friend from Miami. And, and this 28-year-old man followed him, chased him, pursued him, profiled him, and ultimately shot and killed him. We have to look at the, the whole dynamics and we have to look at the facts. Trayvon was armed with a soda, juice, and candy. That's it. His only crime was the color of his skin. He wasn't armed. He didn't have a weapon on him. He was not committing any crime. And so that's why it's so important that we know that our kids' lives matter. Like, we matter. Our kids matter. We have to speak up for our young kids. It's nowhere in the world that it could have been a black man following a 17-year-old white teenager and he wouldn't be in jail. There's no way in the world. There's no way they could have justified that. The black man who shot the 17-year-old from day one would have been arrested and he would still be in jail now. It's no if, ands, or but about it. And then they wanted to make the hoodie to be something that was sinister. And it's not. As I talk to college students around the nation and some in other countries, everybody wears those hoodies. Everybody is, is a part of that fashion. Everybody loves those hoodies. So it, it's not about the fact that he had on a hoodie. It was the fact that his skin was brown. There's a little big threat that a lot of us face still today. And the last question that I have for you is that you joined us back here at CSU in 2015 for a diversity symposium. And now that you're back seven years later in a virtual aspect, can you share about the growth and the challenges that you have seen since your last visit? And in addition, what is next for you? 
The growth I've seen is prior to Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd, you really didn't see police officers or just everyday citizens being arrested and convicted for shooting and killing people of color. And so I'm going to say that's the progress that we've made, but we also have to look at the fact that we took two steps forward in order to get an arrest and a conviction, but we also took two steps back because we lost lives. And so where I see the rallies and I see the protests making a difference to get the arrest that, that we need, it's unfortunate that we have to lose lives in order to get to that point. Six on one hand and six on another one is it's just, you know, to me, it's progress, but it's a slow progress. We have to be mindful that we did lose Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd, even though the people that were responsible for shooting and killing them are being held accountable and they, they're going to stay the rest of their lives in jail. That they, they're still living. George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey are not. And so we have to think about that. Moving forward, um, I'm developing some more programs for the Trayvon Martin Foundation, bringing in more people. I have more volunteers. I'm constantly raising money to try to do the work for the foundation, try to bring on more sponsors, more partners. You know, it's, it's constant. I, I can't give up. I got to continue to press forward and continue to move forward. And I'm, I'm doing that. Like I said, I use the foundation as a vessel to keep things moving and, and just make things bigger and better, to reach out to more families, to reach out to more moms and allow Tracy to reach out to more fathers and, and just get you know, just make sure that I'm doing my part. I have that's something big with me. I have to make sure that I'm doing my part. And so I try to convince people to do their part. I tell them all the time that it took my son being shot down in order for me to stand up. And so I don't want people to wait until something happens for them to get involved. I want them to get involved now and make sure that they are you know, voting in their elections, maybe making sure they're registered voters, making sure that when the notice comes for them to jury member, that they're going to jury duty. It's a lot of work to be done, but we all need to unite and, and do this work together. You just heard the highlights from Sabrina Fulton's keynote speech for Black History Month with the Black and African American Cultural Center here at CSU. We'll be right back.
KCSU thanks Tribal Rights for their continued underwriting support. Tribal Rights is located on College Avenue in Old Town, Fort Collins, and is a full custom tattoo, body piercing, and jewelry studio. Learn more at tribalrightstattoo.com. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News for Tuesday. Amazon and Walmart no longer require masks for fully vaccinated employees unless local mandates require it. According to Kate Gibson at CBS News, employees found out of the change in rules through company memos Friday. The companies follow the lead of many U.S. states and counties, which are lifting mask mandates due to declining COVID-19 cases after a large Omicron variant spike hit the U.S. in early January. Vaccinated employees of the 1.6 million Walmart employees no longer have to wear masks at work so long as it isn't required in their region. Amazon, which is the second largest private employer in the U.S. only behind Walmart, announced a similar change in the first memo suggesting that warehouse employees could be maskless since August. While the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention still recommends masks to be worn indoors to prevent the spread of COVID-19, the two companies are basing mask requirements off of different vaccination statuses. While Walmart requires full vaccination, Amazon only requires one dose of a vaccine to participate in work without a mask. The following story discusses police violence against Black Americans, including graphic descriptions of the murder of George Floyd. This story is about one minute in length. Two former Minneapolis police officers say they intend to represent themselves in a case which says they violated the civil rights of George Floyd. According to Jonathan Allen at Reuters, Tu Tao and K. Alexander Kung told a judge of these plans Monday. Thomas Lane, who previously said he would represent himself as well, is reconsidering whether or not a legal team would be beneficial as he faces charges. The three officers failed to provide crucial medical assistance to Floyd that would have saved his life after former officer Derek Chauvin knelt on his neck for over nine minutes, killing him in May 2020. Darnella Frazier, who recorded the footage of Floyd being killed when she was a teenager, acted as a key witness in the trials. In tears, Frazier told the court that she could not testify. Previously in this case, the legal teams representing the three lawyers took the same stance that these men could not be held accountable for the actions of Chauvin, who did kill Floyd. The legal teams also claimed that due to their status as rookie officers and what they describe as having inadequate training, they should not be held accountable. If convicted, the three former officers would face years in federal prison. They also will face a separate trial in June for aiding in murder. After a passenger tried to open a door on an American Airlines flight from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., the plane diverted to Kansas City, Missouri. According to Laurel Wamsley at National Public Radio, the passenger also tried to access the cockpit with a flight attendant hitting him several times with a coffee pot to get him to stop. One passenger posted on Twitter about their experience, saying that the man responded to a situation where, quote, it felt like the plane was free-falling and many feared the worst because people weren't fully aware of what was unfolding, end quote. This passenger, along with the airline, said that the unruly passenger was a middle-aged man and handling him required the assistance of several passengers and crew members. He was taken into custody by the FBI and was unable to open any doors or access the cockpit before being subdued. The Association of Flight Attendants recorded a survey which says events like these aren't uncommon, with 85% of attendants having to handle unruly passengers at some point in 2021, and around 1 in 5 flight attendants experiencing some level of physical altercation with a passenger. The father of a victim killed in the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting scaled a crane near the White House to call for an end to gun violence. According to Zeke Miller and Colleen Long, Manuel Oliver joined protesters near the White House to remember his son Joaquin, 
and the 16 other murdered students on the four-year anniversary of the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Oliver climbed the crane and tweeted a video where he told viewers that he never received a meeting with Joe Biden, even though he requested it last month. He also said that he wanted to honor his son by working to end gun violence. Protesters present demanded that Biden do more to address and prevent gun violence in the U.S. Oliver carried a sign with a photograph of his son, Joaquin. The sign also included criticisms of the president focused on gun deaths that occurred since he came to the White House. Oliver and two other protesters were taken into custody for breaking into a construction site. Oliver's actions were intended to draw viewers to a site which records all new gun deaths, including suicides, which have happened since the Biden administration took over in January 2021. That's all for national news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 FM. Today, I'm joined by Diane LaPierre of the Poudre River Library District to talk about the Board of Trustees, what they do, and available openings. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. All right. So before we get started, could you give us some background on what you do in your role at Poudre Libraries? Sure. So I am the executive director of the Poudre River Public Library District, and I just started in this role at the beginning of January, so I'm still relatively new. But my job is to set the overall direction for the library uh, and to work with our uh, library trustees, our board, to make sure that the library's resources um, are all the things that we do, our programs, our services, our collections uh, reflect the needs of our community. All right, and then the library currently seeks two new volunteers for its board of trustees. So can you explain a little bit more about what those trustees do for the public library system? Sure, so the board of trustees uh, for the a library district, and this would be Poudre River or any library district in Colorado, are responsible for the oversight, management, and fiscal health of the district. So they help, again, with that um, strategic direction of the library. Uh, plans for the future. They help with policy-related decisions, so making sure that everything we do aligns with our values and our mission. Um, They help with that funding piece, providing that fiscal oversight. We are funded through a property tax, a mill levy, um, similar to what a school district would be, so making sure that we manage uh, the funds that are provided to the library by the community in a way that is responsible and prudent. Um, And then just they also have a huge role in being advocates for the library and community. They are the voice of the community to help me understand um, what needs we need to to address. And they are also a champion for the library um, when they are out and about in their other roles as they're just volunteers as trustees. So advocacy and oversight. All right. And then now that we have that background, kind of what are some examples of the impact that a trustee can have on the local community as they advocate for public libraries and really help shape that direction that the library goes in? Sure. So um, this is a really exciting time to become a trustee because we are embarking on creating a new strategic plan and a new related to that, a facilities plan for the district. We're really trying to figure out how our physical locations that we have now are meeting the needs of our community, where there may be unmet needs, and then taking a look at where and how we can shape um, new services and new physical library locations um, as the library moves forward. So I think this is really an exciting time to be involved 
uh, in that level of uh, direction oversight for the library really can hopefully see an impact of how uh, we shape things for the future. All right. And then what are some traits that the library is really looking for in these trustees and why does that matter? Sure. Well, I'd say the number one trait is to be just a huge supporter of the library. You know, we really want people who uh, appreciate and understand the evolving role that public libraries have in the community. Um, so folks who have used us or aware of our services and really understand we're more than just like a warehouse for books or we're not just about doing story times for little people, although we still do both of those things, but that there's so much more that we offer. So somebody with a, a broad understanding of libraries and how we support that lifelong learning and making sure that our services are uh, available to everyone is uh, a big thing that we're looking for. Um, another thing uh, is just a diversity of perspectives. While I say I want everybody to share that, I know people come at the library uh, and experience the library very differently depending on where they live, their family history, um, you know, just all those components of why they may have used the library in the past. So making sure that we have a board that reflects the diversity of our community and kind of understands um, those differences. And then there's just some practical things that, um, you know, we love people who have some financial acumen as there is a budgeting component and a financial oversight component. So um, people who may have had that uh, in their background professionally or related board experience are also appreciated. That said, you know, people who are just excited about the library and want to learn more about it are also welcome to apply for the board. It's not like you have to have some formal qualifications. Um, mostly it's just to be a huge supporter and proponent of the library. All right. And then can you explain a bit about the position's connection with city council and the term length the new trustee would serve? Yeah. So uh, Hooter Libraries are a library district. So the way the district was set up um, is that both the county and the city have a, a role in selecting uh, who is on the board of trustees. So we have a seven member board. You already mentioned we have two vacancies and board members serve four year terms. And I think they're allowed to have three consecutive terms. Um, and two members of city council and two members of the county commissioners, the two that represent the district are the um, interview and decision makers for who will become a member of the board. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting with those folks. I get to be involved, but I'm, I'm as a library director, not a decision maker, nor are any existing members of the board of trustees. So it's really up to our city and our county to help us identify those folks who will be a good fit and a good match and um, be excited about being on the library board. All right. And then what are some things that people should keep in mind when they're thinking about applying for these positions as library trustees? Well, I'd, I'd say one thing to keep in mind is to familiarize yourself with what the library does now. Um, I think everybody has a picture in their head of how they may have experienced the library as a child or a, a fond memory. But to really, you know, I encourage anybody who's interested in applying to look through our website and come visit our locations to see that 
sort of that energy in the range of offerings that we um, we offer today, which can be very different, you know, with all the virtual options, our online and digital content, our programs that are in person and online. Um, so there's a lot going on. So I would encourage folks to, to know what that is. And I would also encourage people who are applying to, you know, reach out to their friends, family, neighbors, coworkers uh, to understand what the library may mean to different people or what um, people in their lives may need in terms of services from the library, just to, to be aware that there's a lot of different ways that people connect with their public library. So are there any requirements that a person needs to meet in order to apply for these positions? Are there any people who, for example, might not meet the age necessary to apply for this? So prospective trustees need to be at least 18 years old, and they need to be a resident within the library district service area, which is vast. Um, you know, it includes the city of Fort Collins and then goes all the way up to the Wyoming border and um, out east just past the freeway. So there's there's a lot of communities, um, a lot of folks who live in the district who may not live in Fort Collins proper. And we also you know, want trustees who are willing to uh, invest the time. We have monthly meetings and there may be other um, working groups, committees, or events or things that we want them to participate in. So um, be willing to make that commitment and know their community and be uh, active in, in reflecting the needs and desires of the community. So I think that's about it. There, All the requirements are on the library's website and on um, information that's been posted on our social media, encouraging to apply. All right. And then what would you say to someone who might be curious or interested in volunteering with the library in general, who is thinking about doing the board of trustees, but not quite sure that that's going to be the role for them? So all of our meetings are open to the public. So I would encourage anybody who may be interested in applying to attend a meeting. Um, we do meet monthly and the schedule is on our website. It's typically the second meeting of the month, um, but those exact meeting times and locations are on our website. Um, right now our meetings are virtual, so it's pretty easy to attend. Um, and I would also, I mentioned this before, just take the time to come visit a library to really, you know, talk to staff, other um, library patrons and understand some of the things that are going on that may be different than the way they've experienced it. If it's what you're passionate about or what you're interested in, or you've used the library in a way that's really transformed your life, those are exactly the kinds of people that we would love to have apply. And then how can people apply for these positions? On the library's website is probably the easiest way, pooterlibraries.org. And there's a scrolling bar at the landing home page uh, that connects you to site that says join the library board of trustees. And you can apply online. You can also pick up print application at any of our locations. And you can drop off your application if you filled it out in a physical copy at any of our locations or just do the application process online. And they are open through the end of the month. They're due on Friday, February 25th at noon. So still have a couple weeks left to get one in if you're interested. All right, is there anything else that you think listeners should know about the Board of Trustees or the Poudre River Library District in general? Our library is all about giving people ways to explore their curiosity. And I think if you've ever been curious about different ways to support the library or curious about serving on a board, 
we definitely will help you understand what that's about or whatever that may be that you are curious about. We do have a number of other volunteer opportunities and just ways you can connect with your library. All right, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Once again, that was Executive Director of the Poudre Libraries, Diane LaPierre. And if you want to hear that interview again, you can check it out at kcsufm.com news or by looking up KCSU News on Spotify. We'll be right back. DJ Wired to Joe. My show, Sunday Disposition, is from 11 to 1 on Sundays. Tune in and tell me what makes your disposition sunny. My name is Eliza Drotar. This is your RMR Sports Report. In women's basketball, the team is 16 and 7, winning their last two games Utah State 86 to 83, and San Jose State 84 to 70. Their next game is Thursday night for the Border War Pinkout game. In men's basketball, the team is 20-3 and with their last two games against Fresno State, 65-50, then Boise State in an OT victory, 77-74. Their next game is on Thursday night against New Mexico. In women's basketball, the team started their season at the Easton Classic. They faced off against San Diego, Ole Miss, Dixie State, and Cal, with their only win being against Dixie State. 12 to 0. In track and field, the men's and women's teams competed in two different events during the weekend the John Kirby Invitational and the Iowa State Classic. The Rams came home with multiple podium finishers and some record setters. Congratulations to Ryan Beermeer, Tom Willems, Liam Mathers, Megan Mooney, Jacob Burtman, Tom Oates, Lauren Gale, Michaela Williams, Lexi Keller, Cameron Ross, and everyone who gave it their all in the last two competitions. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csurams.evenue.net to get your student tickets for men's basketball, women's basketball, softball, and more. My name is Eliza Drotar. This has been your RMR Sports Report. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to Tech News on KCSU Fort Collins. The following story discusses racist discrimination and the use of slurs against black people. The story is about a minute in length. The state of California is suing Tesla over what they call rampant discrimination towards the company's black employees. According to Deepa Shivaram at National Public Radio, the state's Department of Fair Employment and Housing found after a three-year investigation that black employees experienced racism and harassment at the company's Fremont plant. In the lawsuit, racist incidents included the use of racist language and drawings directed at black Tesla employees, penalizing black employees with more severity than white employees, and a lack of equality in promotions and pay. The lawsuit says, quote, Tesla has continued to deflect and evade responsibility 
While it claims to not tolerate racial harassment or discrimination at its factories, Tesla's investigations of complaints are not compliant with law, end quote. Prosecutors involved in the investigation say that the company avoided addressing complaints of racism and failed to act to make the workplace safe for black people. The N-word was involved in various pieces of graffiti in break rooms and bathrooms, and the use of KKK and swastikas were also noted by one black employee. Employees said the company was slow to clean up this type of graffiti. Some workers complained about discrimination as far back as 2012. Texas's attorney general is suing Meta over facial recognition technology. According to Barbara Artute at the Associated Press, Attorney General Ken Paxton said Facebook's parent company was storing identifying information without the informed consent of users. Paxton described the recording of this information as deceitful, saying, quote, Facebook will no longer take advantage of people and their children with the intent to turn a profit at the expense of one's safety and well-being, end quote. Facebook and Meta previously testified based on congressional concerns that the company was knowingly promoting content and practices that harm teenagers. And with Meta's new focus on virtual reality and the metaverse, many are concerned of potential privacy issues. A judge ordered for the release of a Bitcoin launderer, According to Mitchell Clark at The Verge, Heather Morgan, who is also known by her stage name Razzle Khan, faced a judge Monday who ordered that she can be released on bail. Morgan and her husband, Ilya Dutlikatinshine, were arrested on suspicion of stealing billions of dollars in Bitcoin. While the two were already approved for bail, the government used an emergency stay to keep them in custody out of a concern the couple may try to flee the U.S. before trial. Monday, the judge ordered that Morgan could remain in her home prior to trial, but did not remove the stay for the case of her husband, leaving him in custody. If convicted, each half of the couple could face up to 25 years in prison, along with significant fines. That's all for tech news, and now for the weather. Today we saw warm and partly cloudy skies with a high of 57 degrees and a low of 27 degrees. And Wednesday you can expect two to three inches of snow with a high of 33 and a low of 16. Thursday, the sun will come back out with a high of 37 and a low of 21. And for Friday's weather, you'll have to tune back in to KCSU Fort Collins from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review this Thursday. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David DeMuth, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, London Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Vandell, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mount Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ellie. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.